0: Chapter eleven of Gone to Earth This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Gone to Earth by Mary Webb. Chapter eleven. When Edward got home, his mother was asleep in the chair. Her whole person rose and fell like a tropical sea. Her shut eyes were like those of a statue behind the lids of which one knows there are no pupils her eyebrows were slightly raised as if in expostulation of being obliged to breathe her figure expressed the dignity of old age which may or may not be due to rheumatism edward as he looked at her felt as one does who has been reading a fairy tale and is called to the family meal all the things he had meant to say that had seemed so eloquent now seemed foolish he awoke her hastily in case his courage should fail before that most adamantine thing "'an unsympathetic atmosphere. "'I've got some news for you, mother. "'Nothing unpleasant, dear. "'No, pleasant. "'It makes me very happy. "'The good are always happy,' replied Mrs. Marston securely. "'Before the bland passivity of this remark, "'it seemed that irony itself must soften. "'I am engaged, mother. "'What in, dear? "'I am going to bring home a wife.' She was deaf and very sleepy. "'What kind of a knife, dear?' she asked. "'I am going to marry Hazel Woodus.' "'You can't do that, dear.' She spoke with unruffled calm as if Edward were three years old. "'I can and shall, mother.' "'Ah, well, it won't be for a long, long time,' she said thinking aloud, as she often did, and adding, with the callousness that sometimes comes with age, arising not from hardness, but from the atrophy of the emotions, and of course she may die before then. Die? Edward's voice surprised himself, and it made his mother jump. The young do die, she went on. We all have to go. Your poor father fell asleep. I shall fall asleep. She began to do so, but his next words made her wide awake again. I'm going to be married in May, next month. Her whole weight of passive resistance was set against his purpose. Such unseemly haste, she murmured. So inordinate, such a hurried marriage. But Edward's motives being what they were, he was proof against this. What will the congregation think? Bother the congregation. That's the second time you've said that, Edward. I'm afraid you are going from bad to worse. No, only going to be married, Mother. But a year's engagement is the least, the very least, I could countenance, she pleaded, and a year is so soon gone. One eats and sleeps, and Lord's Day breaks the week, and time soon passes. Oh, can't you understand, Mother? He tried illustration suppose you saw a beautiful shawl out on a hedge in the rain shouldn't you want to bring it in certainly not it would be most unwise besides i have seven well anyway i can't put it off even now something may have happened to her he spoke with the sense of the inimical in life that all lovers feel but things will have to be bought she said helplessly and things will have to be made There is plenty of time, several weeks yet. Won't you, he suggested tactfully, see after Hazel's clothes for her? She is too poor to buy them herself. Won't you lay out a sum of money for me, Mother? Yes, I think, she said, beginning to recover her benignity. I think I could lay out a sum of money. Mrs. Marston had what she called not a wink of sleep. That is to say, she kept awake for half an hour after getting into bed. The idea of a wedding, although it was offensive by reason of being different from every day, was still quite pleasant. It would be an opportunity for using the multitude of things that were stored in every cupboard and never used, being thought too good for every day. Mrs. Marston was one of those that, having great possessions, go sadly all their days it is strange how generation after generation spends its fleeting years in this fetish-worship never daring to make life beautiful by the daily use of things lovely but for ever being busy about them mrs marston's china glowed so and was so stainless and uncracked that it seemed as if the lives of all the beautiful young women in her family must have been sacrificed in its behalf They had all drunk of the cup of death long ago, and their beauty had long ago been broken and defaced, but the beautiful old china remained. There were still the two dozen cups and saucers, the cream jug, sugar basin, and large plates of the feather cups, just as when they were first bought. Their rich gilding, which completely covered them outside, was hardly worn at all, nor were the bright bird's feathers and raised pink flowers it would be very pleasant mrs marston reflected wistfully to use it again there were all the bottled fruits too and lemon curd and jellies and a wedding would be very pleasant suitable opportunity for making one of her famous layer cakes and for wearing her purple silk dress mingled with these ideas was the knowledge that edward wanted it and would be vexed if it had to be put off I have never known him to be so reckless, she pondered, but still he'll settle down once he's married, and she'll sober down too when the little ones come. It will be pleasant when they come. A grandmother has all the pleasures of a mother and none of the pains, and she will not want to manage anything. Edward said so. I should not have liked a managing daughter-in-law. Edward was wise in his choice, for Though noisy, she'll quiet down a little with each of the dear babies, and there will be plenty of them, I think and hope." It was characteristic of Mrs. Marston's class and creed, united with the fact that she was Edward's mother, that she did not consider Hazel in the matter. Hazel's point of view, personality, hopes, and fears were non-existent to her. Hazel would be absorbed into the Marston family like a new piece of furniture. She would be provided for without being consulted. It would be seen, too, that she did her duty, also without being consulted. She would become, as all the other women in this and the other families of the world had, the servant of the china and the electroplate and the furniture, and she would be the means by which Edward's children came into the world. She would, when not incapacitated, fetch shawls, At all times she would say, Yes, dear, or As you wish, Edward. With all this before her, what did she want with personality and points of view? Obviously nothing. If she brought all the grandchildren safely into the world with their due complement of legs and arms and noses, she would be a satisfactory asset but mrs marston forgot in this summing up to find out whether hazel cared for edward more than she cared for freedom mrs marston came down to breakfast with an air of resignation i have decided to make the best of it my dear edward she said of course i had hoped there would never be any one but it doesn't signify i will lay out the money and be as good a grandmother as i can and now dear She spoke passively, shifting the responsibility onto Edward's shoulders. And now, how will you get me to town? Here was a problem. The little country station was several miles away, far beyond her walking limit, and no farmer in the neighbourhood had a horse quiet enough to please her. In my day, dear, I can remember horses so quiet, so well-bred, so beautifully trained, and above all so fat, that an accident was, apart from God's will, impossible. Now, my dear father, in the days when he travelled for Jeremy's green tea, and very good tea it was, and a very fine flavour, and a picture of a black man on every canister. Where was I? Ah, yes, he always used to allow a day for a ten-mile round. Very pleasant it was, but the horses are not... Here, Edward cut in with a suggestion. Why shouldn't you go by the traction trailer? You enjoyed it that one time. The traction engine, belonging to a stone quarry, passed two or three times a week and was never, the country being hilly, so full that it could not accommodate a passenger. It was therefore arranged that Edward should go and see the driver and afterwards see Hazel and arrange for her to go to town also. He was to stay at home. Mrs. Marston would never leave the house, as she said, without breath in it, though she could give no reason for this idea and prided herself on having no superstitions. She would not trust Martha by herself, so Edward was ruefully obliged to undertake the office of breathing, like a living bellows to blow away harm. It was settled that they would go on the day before the flower show, and Hazel was to stay the night. It would be the last night but one before the wedding. Meanwhile, the bark-stripping continued, and fate went on, leading Jack Reddin's horse in every direction but the right one. Edward went to hunt Finney every day. He began to find a new world among the budding hyacinths on the soft leafy soil, breaking up on every side with a push of eager lives coming through, "'and full of those elusive, stimulating scents "'that only Spring knows. "'When the day came for going to Silverton, "'and Hazel arrived fresh and rosy from her early walk, "'he felt very rebellious. "'Still, it was ordained that someone must breathe, "'and only his mother could choose the clothes. "'It took Mrs. Marston several hours to get ready, "'and Edward and Martha were kept busy running up and down, Not that Mrs. Marston's clothes had to be hunted for or mended, far from it. But there were so many cupboards to be locked, their keys hidden in drawers, the keys of which in their turn went into more cupboards. When such an inexplicable tangle as no burglar could tackle had been woven, Mrs. Marston always wanted something out of the first cupboard, and all had to be done over again. But at last she was achieved. Edward and Martha stood back and surveyed her with pride and looked to Hazel for admiration of their work, but Hazel was too young and too happy to see either the pathos or the humour of old ladies. She danced down the steep path with an armful of wraps at the idea of wearing which she made faces. The path led steeply in a zigzag down one side of the quarry cliff, where Abel had told Hazel of the cow falling and where she had felt drodsome. Once more, as she came down, with a more and more lagging step, the same horror came over her. "'I'm Frit!' she cried. "'Canna we be quick?' But speed was not in Mrs Marston. She came clinging to Edward's arm very cautiously like a cat on ice. Martha, her stout red arms bare, her blue gingham dress and white apron flying in the wind, was directed to hold on to Mrs. Marston's mantle behind as one tightens the reins downhill to keep her on her feet. Edward was carrying a kitchen chair for his mother to sit on during the journey. Hazel felt that they were none of them any good. They none of them knew what it was like to be frit. So she ran away and left the hot, secretive, omniscient place with its fierce white and its crafty shadows. She reached a tiny field that ran up to the woods, and there, among the brilliantly varnished buttercups, the bees sounded like the tides coming in on the coasts of fairy. Hazel forgot her dread, an inexplicable, sickening dread of the quarry. She chased a fat bumblebee all across the golden floor, one eager, fluffy, shining head after the other. They might have been in the all-permeating glory on their hill terrace, with the sapphire-circled plain around. They might have been the two youngest citizens of paradise, circled in for ever from bleak, honeyless winter, bleak, honeyless hearts. The slow cortege came down the path, Martha being obliged, as the descent grew steeper, to fling herself back like a person in a tug-of-war, "'for Mrs. Marston gathered way as she went "'and uttered little helpless cries. "'I'm going, Martha. I'm losing control. "'Not by the bugles, Martha, not by the braid.' "'When they reached the road, "'the traction engine was not in sight, "'so they sat in the bank and waited. "'Mrs. Marston regal in the chair, "'and Hazel held a buttercup under Edward's chin "'to see if he liked butter. "'Very warm and pleasant.' murmured Mrs. Marston and dropped into a doze. Edward listened to the thrushes. They were flinging their voices as jugglers fling golden balls against the stark sides of the quarry. Up went a rush of bright notes pattered on the gloomy wall and returned again, defeated. To Edward, as he watched Hazel, they seemed like people thanking God for blessings and being heard and blessed again. To Hazel, they seemed so many other Hazels, singing because it was a festal day. To Mrs. Marston, they were noisy birds and very disturbing. Martha crocheted. She was making edging, hundreds of yards of it, for wedding garments. This was all the more creditable, as it was an act of faith, for no young man had as yet seemed at all desirous of Martha At last the traction engine appeared and Mrs. Marston was hoisted into the trailer. A large truck with scarlet painted sides and about half full of stone. This had been shoveled away from the front to make room for Mrs. Marston and Hazel. A flap in the scarlet side was let down, and with the help of one of the traction men, Edward and Martha got her safely settled. She really was a very splendid old lady. Her hat a kind of spoon shape, was trimmed lavishly with black glass grapes that clashed together softly when she moved. There was also a veil with white chenille spots. The hat was tied under her chin with black ribbons, and her kind old face, very pink and plump and charming, looked out pleasantly upon the world. She wore her best mantle heavily trimmed with jet bugles, and her alpaca skirt was looped up uncompromisingly with an old-fashioned skirt hook made like a butterfly. Hung on one arm was her umbrella, and she carried her reticule in both hands for safety; so, with all her accoutrements on, she sat, pleasantly aware that she was at once self respecting and adventurous. They started, in a whirl of good-byes, shrieks of delight from Hazel, and advice of Mrs. Marston to the driver, to put the brake on and keep it on. Hazel was perched on the side of the truck near her. They rounded a turn with great dignity, the trailer with Mrs. Marston as its figurehead, wearing an expression of pride, fear, and resignation, swinging along majestically. Please, Mrs. Marston, can I buy a green silk gown with yellow roses on certainly not my dear it would be most unsuitable so very far from quiet what's quiet matter quietness is the secret of good manners the quieter you are the more of a lady you'll be thought all truly good people are quiet in manners dress and speech, just as all the best horses are advertised as quiet to ride and drive, but few are really so. had you got to be ever and ever so quiet to be a lady? Yes. What for have you? Because, dear, it is the proper thing. Now my poor husband was quiet so quiet that you never knew if he was there or not. And Edward is quiet too, as quiet as Oh, Donna, Donna," wailed Hazel. Is a pin sticking into you, dear? No, Donna, say Edward's quiet. Mrs. Marston looked amicably over her spectacles. My dear, why not? she asked. I dunna like that sort. Could you explain a little, dear? "'I dunna like quiet men, nor quiet horses. "'My man was quiet when she was dead. "'Everybody's quiet when they're dead.' "'Very, very quiet,' crooned Mrs. Marston. "'Yes, we all fall asleep in our turn.' "'I like,' went on Hazel in her rather crude voice, "'harsh with youth like a young blackbird's. "'I like things as go quick.' and men as talk loud, and stare hard, and drive like the devil. She broke off, flushing at Mrs. Marston's expression, and at the sudden knowledge that she had been describing Reddin. It doesn't signify very much, said Mrs. Marston severely for her, what you like, dear. But I suppose, she softened, that you do really like Edward, since he has chosen you and you are pledged. Hazel shook her shoulders as if she wanted to get rid of a yoke. They fell into silence, and as Mrs. Marston dozed, Hazel was able to fulfil her desire that had sprung into being at the very moment of seeing Mrs. Marston's hat, namely, to squash one of those very round and brittle grapes. Her quick little hand, gleaming in the sun, hovered momentarily above the black hat like a darting dragonfly and the mischief was done bland respectability smashed and derided end of chapter 11 recording by rachel linton bristol uk